Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford. Hopefully you are having a great start to the new year. Uh, I know I'm definitely getting a ton done thinking about a lot, uh, but also trying to remember to say no to some stuff. Uh, This new year time, I think, is really busy for pretty much all of us uh, because we're trying really hard to get our own things going or pick up the pace on some of our own things. Uh, At the same time, everyone else is doing that. So for me, as someone who is a freelance writer by trade, that definitely means fielding a lot of last minute requests from editors who've been off for a couple weeks uh, and, you know, trying to fit in a lot of stuff, which has included a couple of school talks for Strong Girl Publishing in the last couple of days, uh, which is really pushing my public speaking capabilities, which is great, Uh, but definitely been a busy start to the year. Uh, which is something that today's guest, Tina Singh, definitely understands. She is the founder of Bold Helmets. uh, And actually, I love the fact we get into it towards the end of the episode, but the name actually came from her word of the year, uh, which everyone who's listened to the show for a while knows is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, My word of the year is strong. Uh, As I said in a past episode, it's definitely a word I should have just leaned into in 2023. But here we are in 2024, leaning into it even harder. Uh, But anyway... Uh, Tina started Bold Helmets to be able to make a helmet that would be able to fit her son and other sick kids uh, just because of the, you know, the cultural hairstyle that they they wear, the way that they have their hair up. Uh, traditional standard bike helmets don't fit them, uh, which is a huge problem. So she wanted to solve it. And as an occupational therapist, she really had a, a lot to, to figure out as far as the product-based business goes, but she had a good understanding of what the helmet needed to do what kind of features it needed to have, what safety checks it needed to pass, and business is booming. I met Tina last year when I covered the launch of her business for Bicycling Magazine, and since then, uh, she's pretty much been off to the races, just making things happen, and it's just so, so impressive what she's built from, you know, from the ground up. It's not like she already had a business going where she could add this as a product. She had to figure out everything, and we talk about exactly how she figured out everything. So without further ado, I'm going to let her speak for herself. Enjoy my conversation with Tina Singh. I know I did. Oh my gosh, Tina, it is so great to chat with you again. First, we talked for bicycling back when you first launched Bold Helmets, now Business Fitness. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I mean, I'm so thrilled. I think I'm trying to remember, I think it was March when we first spoke when you had kind of first just gotten bold helmets off the ground and we said we would totally do this episode and I'm actually really glad that we waited until now because I think now you have so many more stories and you know intel on how this whole product business goes um before we get into bold helmets let's start with your background because you're an occupational therapist by trade how does how does someone go from that to a helmet company yeah, so it's actually, you know, it's interesting because there's actually a lot of an, a lot of OTs that are involved in product design because we focus on function, right? So um, we do have people in in product design. However, you're right; it is kind of a big jump to go from occupational therapy to designing helmets. However, I will say that I worked in the area of head and brain injury, and so for me, I've always kind of been in this space. Um, product design or going on the product side at all is completely new for me. Um, And I would say that I got here just based on my life experiences. My real life struggle led me here to product design. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so give us the bold helmet origin story. How did this need come story. up? <laughs> how did this happen? So how did I end up here? So I ended up here um, because I, I feel like I can't even remember how long ago now. When my oldest son was about four years old, he's 11 now. So we started having issues with finding a bicycle helmet for him. He was, he's very gifted, um, you know, athletically. And so he was the kid who was like on scooters and bikes and all those things, pretty independent from like the age of three. And so when he started being on his own on a bike, we wanted him to wear a helmet, of course, because I'm an occupational therapist who works in head and brain injury. So I want my kids to wear helmets. And now because we are of the sick faith and my kids have long uncut hair, they keep in a top knot uh, in a very traditional way. Um, traditional bicycle helmets didn't fit them the way they needed to. And so, of course, I tried what most parents in my situ- uh, in the same situation do. I tried to just tie my kids' hair to the back and make it work. At first, I tried to squeeze it on. When that didn't work, I tried to tie their hair to the back. Turns out they hate it. If you have kids who are used to keeping their hair a certain way and then have to change it every time they want to wear a helmet and then change it back, turns out they don't like it so much. Not only is it hard for the kids, it's hard for the parents. Mm-hmm. And so after struggling with this, you know, uh, then becoming a mom of two and a mom of three, um, all three boys having this struggle and just thinking that, you know, if I don't have an option, that means no kids like mine have an option. No parents like me have an option. And so that's really where Bold Helmets was born. And that's where we created, you know, a safety certified version of a, a, a bicycle helmet that works for our kids. It's incredible to me that that hadn't been done before. And I mean, it's because, especially because it's not just that one specific hairstyle that can't fit within a traditional helmet. If you actually think about all different like religions and ethnicities, there's so many where the helmet, the standard bike helmet just doesn't make sense. So it's wild that this is 2022 or 2023 when you're coming out with this and this is the only one available. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the conversation I've had with a lot of people, like, why hasn't this already been here? And I think that I feel like I have a bit of an answer to that, too. Not an answer, but like, I have some ideas. Like, I think in the sick community, there is a lot of, you know, we we push to recognize the identity of um, the sick turban that the adult males wear, right? Um, Well, not just males, but the adults wear. Um, And when it comes to kids, they're just wearing a small cloth covering called a butka usually. Like, I mean, you will find some kids who wear a full turban, but it's it's very, very rare that I've seen that be the case. And so I think it's like people didn't know that there could be an option. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't mm. think, I, you know, I've talked to some parents after the fact who said, you know, I thought about this when my kids were small. I thought about this when my kids were smaller. I've been facing like this challenge for a couple of years now. And it's almost like don't know where to start. And that was very much where I started. Like, I don't know where to start. Yeah. Okay. So you have to give me just how you actually got started with this, because this, you know, you're not in manufacturing. You are an occupational therapist who has like, you understand the need and you sort of have like an idea for the design, but how do you go from that to product? Where do you even So I'm going to make, yeah, I'm going to make this sound so easy, but it's, uh, this took years and many mistakes like to, to come to fruition. So when I first decided that, okay, we need to kind of actually take a stab at getting this right. Um, so my older boys had started playing hockey and that's when I realized that, okay, this problem is just getting worse. It's not getting easier. It's not getting easier as my kids get older. This is just becoming more and more of a challenge. 
And so that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to take my, take my shot at this. You know, we're always waiting for someone to do something. And I decided, you know, that someone was going to be me. Like if someone else, like, why can't I make a helmet that's going to work? You know, I feel like hindsight is 2020, right? Like if there's a lot of things that if I had known then that maybe it would have stopped me from yeah. going down this route, but I'm glad that they didn't because, you know, I persevered. I learned as I went, I made mistakes along the way, but basically how I started was I found in an engineering firm in Toronto. And I said, this is the problem I'm facing. I need to create a solution for this. This is what I think the solution can be. And I like need someone to like draw it out for me or create a CAD file or do, you know, the things that I need to take steps towards manufacturing and testing. And, you know, when I found that right partner, it took, you know, some trial and error, a couple of prototypes. And then, you know, we kind of got to a place where I had a prototype in hand, which was like a crude kind of prototype, just to make sure it actually fit on my kids. And so once I had that, I went to like every neighborhood kid I could find, like in this age category, <laughs> asked their parents if I could try it on them, because that's my sample size, right? Like I need to go to the people who are going to use the product. Mm -hmm. And so I tried it on as many people as I could. And I was so thrilled that there actually wasn't a lot of back and forth. And I had a product that seemed to work. And then once I had that, it was a matter of safety testing, right? And that is the biggest challenge. Not that the safety testing is um, hard to get done. You can get it done. It doesn't even take that long, actually. But it's more meeting the mark, but still having a product that works. So, you know, it, it took us a bit of time to come up with that initial design. But once we did, once we went through safety testing, we realized, okay, we, we have it. And it was when I had that green light from the lab saying, you've passed these tests. That's when I kind of went like, all right, now, you know, I got to find a manufacturer. I got to build this to scale. How am I going to market this? That's where all that came. And if I say that, like, I was ready for everything that was to follow, I definitely was not. I would be lying. Um, there was so much that came um, after that and a lot of really rapid growth. Um, but in, I mean, in the end, I'm still standing, I'm still here one year later, I've learned a lot. I continue to grow. We're continuing to build. Oh, amazing. Um, okay. What, what would the time, like how long would you say, like, when was the first con like contact with that Toronto firm that like helped you start creating the idea just so people have like some semblance of like how long this actually takes? I feel like I don't really remember, but it was over three years ago. Like it was okay. over three years ago. Um, and I mean, we've been in a space where we like launched um, in early 2023. So at least two or three years before that is when we started. And then, you know, everything takes time, right? Like it takes time to create that design, like, you know, mo many months. And then when you change something, it takes many months again. And so there was a lot of time spent in that phase where like, it was just kind of happening in the background of my life, to be honest. Like I was mm -hmm. continuing on. I know I had signed on the dotted line. And at that point I had committed that I was going to take this as far as I could take it. And at the end, either I'd have a product that worked or I'd be out of money, one or the other. Right. So I would take it as far as I could go. Um, but I had made the commitment at that point. So, you know, I it happened that. in the background. I continued living on and, um, yeah, it took about, took about three years, I'd say. Okay. I'm so curious. You don't need to give me a dollar figure, but like, how did you, how did you decide like, like, this is my like mark in the sand. And do you think you actually would have stopped if the money ran out, but you like hadn't had a product like totally ready to go? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> so sorry, the first part of your question was what I, I missed the first part. Really? Just like, how did you kind of come up with that like amount of money that you were going to spend on it? Because I think that's actually just like a really smart tip sort of just within that is like, okay, how much can you afford to spend on this? And like, 
this is that amount, like, period, line in the sand. But also, yeah. like, how did like how did you come up with that that number? And then was it hard to stick to that number? Or do you think you would have blown through it if you had to? So to be honest, I didn't come up with a number. What I did was I, you know, once I met with the design firm, got their estimates for, you know, phase one, and I committed to phase one, I knew I was going to see this through. And, you know, I knew that if things didn't go well in our first round of prototyping that I would, or if they did go well and that I took it for safety testing and didn't pass, I would have to start again. And I got lucky the first time. So I'll say that, like it worked out the first time. I didn't have exact number in my head, but I knew that I was committed to trying to make it work. And if it hadn't, if I had run out of money, like as in my personal savings, if I had run out of that, I think, I think I would have asked someone else for money. Like, I don't think that I would have given up on the idea. Like I was too committed, like to have and put mm -hmm. in that much effort, that much time, that much financing to be like, okay, you know, like if the lab had said to me, you've missed the mark in so many areas, then I might've said, okay, this is going to be a much more significant investment, but I don't know that I'd be able to give it up. Like, I, I don't think that I would have been able to. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a great answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and okay. So now actually, do you have employees? Is it still just you? Like what's, what's the company look like and how did you kind of decide on where that went? So right now, a year in, the company still looks like me. Um, however, we do have we do have like partners, right? So early, probably when we spoke uh, last, I was filling and shipping orders for my basement. Now, I no longer do that. I now have like a logistics company, for example, where they fulfill and ship all the orders. So I'm not doing a lot of that manual labor that I was. I'm still doing a lot of manual labor, but not that part of it. Um, but I still like even this week was driving over a couple extra buckets, boxes of stock over to the logistics company because I'm I try to be capital efficient. Like I invest mm -hmm. a lot of money in this business. But if I don't have to pay storage fees at a logistics company because I have the space, then I will schlep them over to wherever I need to take them uh, when I need to take them. And so I think that's part of that. Honestly, some of that is my like things that I learned from my immigrant family. Like I think part of that is like how I learned to be cost-effective in the way that I do things. Don't get me wrong. There's certain things that I would love or I, I, I pay for the absolute luxury of having done for me, like packing and shipping orders. Um, but anywhere I can, I try to be capital efficient. Even though we've had good success till now, we're still in our infancy, right? We're still in mm -hmm. year one. Um, so right now it's still me, but we do have partners for logistics. We have partners for shipping. We have partners um, for like email marketing and things like that, that I, the contracts that I have out for those things. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think that's really smart because I think a lot of people, you know, would like, first of all, would look at it and assume it's actually a much bigger company because you do do a fantastic job with the website and the marketing and everything. So kudos to you for that. I would have assumed it was at least a few people. Um, but also, I think a lot of people are really, they assume that for a company to be successful, it needs to have this rapid growth of the company where it's like you have like 10 employees now or 20 employees or however many. Um, but I think we're kind of like slowly learning that that's actually not all it's cracked up to be a lot of the time. Yeah. And I mean, you need, you need a lot of capital to be able to do that. And like, we're still very heavily in R and D as we're creating more product. And so for me, that's where my focus is. I do believe in hiring people to do things that are better than you at doing those mm -hmm. things um, because we can't all be good at everything. And 
you know, I would like to get to a point where I have the ability to do that, but I'm just, I don't feel ready yet, but I'm hoping in this coming year, 2024, I'll be able to expand our team. Mm -hmm. Love it. Now, as you were learning all of this stuff, I mean, figuring out how to make a helmet is like hurdle number one. Hurdle number two, though, there's so much business stuff. Like, that's all the behind the scenes, the, you know, in Canada, we have so many, like, you know, your business number, your taxes, your this, that, and the other. Did you have, like, were you reading books on how to do this? Or were you just like learning as you went? How were you figuring out all of these like businessy sides of it? You know, I have a saying that I, anytime anyone asks me, like, how did you make it through year one of business? It's fake it till you make it. And people have a very different understanding as to what that means. Some people think it means just pretending, you know, everything and just you know, whatever. I don't, that's not what I mean. I mean, sometimes I find the biggest challenges we face in the business space is imposter syndrome. We often feel like we don't fit into spaces. We're new. We don't know anything. We need to sort of shrink ourselves down in order to, I don't know, it's something inside of you that makes you feel like you don't belong in these spaces. So I would say that that's kind of how I managed a lot of that feeling or that anxiety um, of being overwhelmed in the space. However, to actually figure out those pieces like, okay, I need to register a company. I need a business number. So it's not my first, it's not my first business registration. So I'll say that. So because I work in the social media space, I've ha I have a uh, corporation I use for that. In occupational therapy, I was also self-employed. And so I also am used to having an HST number filing taxes and doing all that. I'm not an expert in that space, but I knew the basics. And then anything else, like, you know, registering for taxes in other countries, I just kind of figured that out as I went. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I, it helps to have a good circle of people in this space who can guide you. And I think that has been my saving grace in so many, in so many circumstances. Okay. Talk to me about that. How, like, who did you find in the space? Like, how, how have you created this, this group around you? So I think I've created a good circle of founders, entrepreneurs, because I, you know, spent so much time on social media sharing my life's journey. I sort of already had some of those connections. And once I launched Bold Helmets, those people reached out to me to congratulate me on everything that's been happening. And so they really became my support. Um, along with that, I also, in the past year, I think since we spoke, I've been part of like a number of accelerator programs. I've got to meet other founders. And so that's helped to build my network. And so if something comes up and I don't know the answer, more often than not, when I reach out to that network, someone has the answer. Someone knows someone who knows the answer. And so they're able to connect me to the people to get the information. And what I have found is that I'm usually the one who's resistant to ask for help in other situations in my life. However, when it comes to this, I feel like I'm more than happy to ask for help because everyone is so helpful. That And that's the truth. There's been no one who's been like a gatekeeper of information. Everyone has been so forthcoming. And may call me naive, but I feel like all the people that I meet are so invested in me being successful. Like I've never felt, you know, another woman or anyone really like threatened by me doing what I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. And that's been a really nice feeling because I have not always had that experience in other spaces. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like, you know, having that circle is also just very motivational, right? Like you see other people doing stuff. And even if it's not the exact same thing that, you know, you want to be doing, it at least like prompts you to, to like your next actions. Cause I, I definitely find I need that. No, exactly. We need people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Biggest hurdle in the going from like, okay, we have the helmet design. We sort of have like, we're working on that, getting it actually in the hands of kids what was like the hardest part of that process. And I feel like in Canada, it's like shipping because it's so stinking expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the biggest hurdle I would say 
for me in trying to get the product in the hands of the consumers is not having enough opportunities for people to try the helmets before buying. That's my biggest hurdle. So when it comes to a helmet, first of all, this is a population who's never had a helmet that's worked for them before. There's going, we need to build customer confidence, right? And so we tried to do as many pop-ups as we could in our local community in the GTA. We did as many as we, like I was there every weekend, whatever pop-up I could find, you know, and most of the time I wasn't even selling at the pop-ups. I was meeting people, talking to them, telling them why it's important, giving them an opportunity. Here's our product, try it out, try it on, on your child. And so that was, that was how I managed. And I think that that still remains one of my biggest challenges, getting, giving people the opportunity to try before they buy. And which is why we've, um, you know, tried to team up with some small local retailers who can have this product available for people to try in -hmm. store. And I think that has been um, kind of the biggest challenge. Um, But along with that, I'll also say is we have to, we had to do a lot of work in terms of education we're continuing to do so, but a lot of work in terms of education and the importance of a helmet. Again, for a group that's never had one before, a group yeah. who's gotten by so far without one, um, to sort of talk about you know head injury risks, why helmets are important, what's the research behind them, and so that is um, a job I haven't taken lightly, and it's it's a pride of the work that I do, really, because I think that that education and that learning doesn't just support the community of sick kids. It supports their parents. It supports anyone really, because I talk about, you know, the two V one rule and how do we properly fit a helmet? And it's just information that's good for everyone. Yeah, for sure. It is interesting with helmets that like, it's a very hard thing to kind of disseminate that information because it it is kind of very like it's dark, right? Like you have to kind of share these very scary statistics and like you're not doing it to scare people. You're doing it to help a population, but it's still like, it's a very fine line between like, not like freaking people out. And like, Mm -hmm. we talk about this all the time. You know, my main job is like writing for bicycling magazine. Like, you know, how do you like convince people that wearing helmets is good without telling, like like, convincing them that riding bikes is really dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine line for sure. And I think that, more than anything, I found that people are actually quite appreciative of learning the actual fit rules. So I try Mm -hmm. to say like, you know, these, the stats, and this is why you should wear a helmet. But here, let me show you how to fit a helmet. I try to focus on that because I think that sometimes when we even see people wearing helmets, they're not quite fit. They're not fit quite right. Right. And so I think it's just educating the general population, not even just my target audience, Mm -hmm. I think is, I don't know. I think that's an important part of the work. Absolutely. Yeah. The number of backwards helmets I see, like, especially like is yeah. Huge number. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You mentioned these weekend pop-ups. Um, I imagine, especially in the time where you were still doing kind of day job working on this and then, you know, you're shifting and now, you know, you're doing these pop-ups. How on earth are you doing all of this with three young kids And like, if one of them, even one of them is in hockey, that's like a whole, that could be like a full-time job alone. Yeah. So none of my kids are in hockey right now, but the older two are in basketball. So that has been a journey of its own. Um, So I will say that when I launched Bold Helmets, I was, you know, I'm still doing some stuff on social media, but I was not uh, working clinical OT. So I kind of was focused majority on bold helmets and that kind of just, it went hand in hand with the social media stuff. It's how I promoted my products, how I share my life, you know, so it kind of went hand in hand. Um, But 
honestly, it's been an exhausting year. Like I feel like the amount of gray hair I have now than what I had at the beginning of the year has like quadrupled. It's just, it's been an experience. There's been a lot of, um, a lot of up, but moments of down as well. And, you know, just very recently, you know, I've said to my husband, I'm like, I feel like we need to hire people for like my life things, like things in the house and all that, because I can't do, I can't do it all. And I think that I really, really, you know, burned the candle at both ends for a lot of months and mm-hmm. it's come into the fall. And now as we're approaching winter where I'm finally saying, okay, I can't do this all. And that's why I'm trying to get more partners to take on what they can for the business and also get help sort of for, for the rest of my outside life, like my personal life, because, mm-hmm. um, it is really hard to do it all. Like your kids have a yeah. lot of needs and there are times where your kids need you more. There's times your business needs you more and you kind of just have to find the balance and balance the wobbly plates. As I say, like balance, what needs the attention the most at that time. I love that. Yeah. It's, I think, you know, all that said though, I think if you had tried to get help, you know, from the gun, like right, like right away, you know, I don't think it would have gone as well as, you know, you figuring out how all of the aspects work. I think that's what helps you then figure out exactly where you need the help and like where you need people to fill in. But it is knowing when it's time to say like, okay, now it's time to get some help. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I think that if you're not sort of bootstrapping in the beginning, I personally feel, and I haven't done it, but I feel that you might lose sight of how things work, or you may not understand enough about the, you know, how each process works. So right now, for example, because I was so trying to be cost effective with the, with the fulfilling of orders and shipping, I know how much work that is. So I know that when my logistics company is saying like, this is X number of dollars per order filled, um, that's not bad. Like I know, because I know the work involved in it. Right. So I think it is important. I agree to know sort of the ins and outs of how things work. Um, before passing it off and deciding whether it's something you want to pass off or, Mm -hmm. you know, something you really enjoy. And I think sometimes you find that you enjoy stuff that you didn't necessarily expect that you would enjoy. Like for sure. You're like, Oh, turns out I'm not that bad at this, you know, (laughs) hopefully not the actual fulfillment of orders, but you know, there's other stuff you might decide you actually enjoy. (laughs) Although, you know what, there is something really satisfying about like when you have the big stack of packages and then they leave your house. 100%. And the thing is, I was so, um, I don't know, I don't know what I was even thinking when I fulfilled all those pre orders, which was like a ton of them, right when I got my product, like, I not only did I pack and box the orders, like I drove them in batches from like in my car from my house to the shipping company. And you know, like, was that more cost effective? Or should I have hired some kind of truck? Like, (laughs) you just do what you need to do. I did what I did in the moment that I had. And I had my like kids down there. Everyone was helping and we got it done. I love that. Um, Okay. Actually, that brings up the interesting question of the pre-order concept. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of like people are nervous about doing pre-order versus, you know, just having product in hand, especially because we're so used to the, you know, one day shipping with everything now. So talk to me about that decision to do pre-orders and how, how did it work? How did it go? So pre-orders was actually not part of the plan, I don't think. So we just fell into pre-orders. Here's what happened. I put out a press release. It was a very well-written press release. I had a friend who works in PR, helped me out with it. Once I did that press release, I got picked up by like every major news media outlet. I remember. And we did tons of media. And it was wonderful for us. However, our product was on the water our product was not in hand. So we thought, how do we take advantage of this? We had a mailing list going. So we opened up the mailing list 
And then like a week or two after opening the mailing list, you know, I spoke to someone and they said, just start pre-orders, just make it clear the product won't be shipped till March. And we did, we did so amazing with our pre-order. And I think it's because people were so anticipating this product. Like, and there was still, you know, even after all, they, when we started shipping product, I still had people, you know, reach out to me being like, oh, when are you going to be safety certified? When do you think you're going to launch? I'm like, what are you talking about? So it just goes to show how much we have to keep repeating our our, our messaging and all of that. Um, like I had someone in September in Seattle, I went there for an event and someone said to me like, oh, are you um, certified in the US? And I'm like, what are you talking about? We've been certified in the US from the beginning. Like we've been shipping to the US like a month after we launched. And so it's that repeated repeated messaging. And so we fell into pre-orders because we want to take advantage of the media attention that we had. And I do think it was the right approach. And actually, I think I'm going to pre-order a route for um, our next launch as well. Yeah. I mean, if it worked once, why not? Like- why not? We want to open it up. We know the product's coming. It's on the water. We have a size medium product coming up for 2024. Um, and it's been long awaited and we can't wait to open pre-orders for people as long as you make it clear. It's that messaging, right? Make mm-hmm. it clear. You're not going to have this product shipped out until, you know, this, yep. th- this number of weeks. And I think sometimes people miss that message sometimes. Absolutely. I do. I'm so glad you mentioned the like need to kind of keep repeating your message over and over again. Like I cannot stress that enough. That's something we talk about, especially I think like as women, we tend to like downplay things that we're doing, any accomplishments, any of that stuff. So like we already have that going against us. And then we just assume, like, I posted it once. Everyone clearly knows about it. Um, No, no, they don't. Like, you know, I just put out another new book like a couple months ago. And the number of people in, you know, two months later that are like, oh, you give a book like a like you write any books, let alone like have a new one. I'm like, oh, I really thought that I like pushed that one out really hard. But apparently we have to keep celebrating. We have to keep celebrating. We have to keep pushing our messages sharing what's happening. And it's true. One, one message is not enough. And even if you put it out two weeks later, someone didn't see that, especially social media, the algorithm doesn't really work the way we want it to. And so certain people see those posts, certain people don't. And you know, you got to keep repeating, keep sharing that message over and over again. Yep. Yep. Okay. Looking back, any major mistakes or tiny mistakes, tiny mistakes are actually great too, that you made that others can learn from. I know it's a super generic question, but I've gotten so many good answers in the course of this podcast asking it. Let me see. Okay. Mistakes we made. So we've made plenty of mistakes. I'll say that. Um, Plenty of mistakes and we all do and learn from every single one of them. Um, I think one of the mistakes I made early on was not ignoring social media enough, if that makes sense. So when we went to the media, of course, anytime you share anything on social media, if it goes viral, there's plenty of people who love it. The majority of people love things, but then there's the few people who don't love it so much. And I think even though I try to stay offline, even though I uh, have a very thick skin because I've been in this space for so long, I still think it was a whole different experience because this means so much to me and it was a whole new project and people who maybe didn't know me now knew me and everyone had an opinion to share. And so I think one of the mistakes I made was thinking that things that existed online were going to continue. So I'll say this, anyone who had an issue with my product early days, they are nowhere to be found now, right? They they're, they're there for like a couple of days and then it's done. And so even though I knew that in that moment, I didn't remember it. So I think one of the mistakes I made was really, leaning into social media a little bit 
mm-hmm. too much. And I think anyone who's had anything go anything go viral will probably relate to that. Um, and like, I think that's one of the mistakes. And then besides that, there's like smaller things where you're like, oh, I printed something and it's not bilingual. I print, you know what I mean? And then you learn some of those things as you go um, along the way. But mm-hmm. thankfully, till now, fingers crossed, we haven't anything like really crazy. Um, but we're, we're hoping we don't, we've trying to be prepared, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about social media because I think we are now in a day and age where literally anything you do, someone is going to have a problem with it. Someone is going to like be argumentative about it. And, you know, we say this all the time, but like you can get a thousand positive responses and the one negative one, it's going to just be the knife in the heart for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's going to eat away at you. And you're going to be thinking about that one thing as opposed to everyone else who's had wonderful things to say. And that's just human nature. That's just how we do things. And so now I've learned, I've gotten a little bit better at unplugging and not buying into that narrative as much and remembering that the thousand positive responses negate the negative response. And I mean, I don't mean people who have constructive criticism. I feel like we could all learn if we're open to feedback. I think that's a really good thing. Um, And we have been open to feedback, actually. We've taken quite a bit of feedback in how we sort of move forward. But yeah, it's some of that negativity. It's okay to turn that off. It's okay to post and then delete the Instagram app. I've learned is a great way to do this, right? Then you reinstall and you deal with it again. You know what I mean? It's a good way to keep your space. I like that. Very nice. Okay, we are recording this as of this is December twelfth that we're recording it. So most of the holiday stuff is like starting to wind down. I know most of the companies that I pay attention to are sort of in that last like, if you don't order today, you're not getting it in time for the holidays. Uh, how was this first holiday sales cycle? So for us, we don't do a big push for um, for the Christmas holiday season. We do. However, or we did like a Black Friday, Cyber Monday kind of Mm -hmm. thing, trying to clear out stock, remaining stock from this year. And it went quite well, actually. Um, We focused on email marketing and social media. That's kind of how we targeted our our audience. And it went quite well. Like, I think there's things that I could do different next year. I think planning out exactly when those certain sales are going to be certain times a year would help to with the lead up to it. I think this year was a year of experimenting with this, like experimenting mm-hmm. with when we would do sales, when we would offer special rates for things like pop-ups and things like that. And so now going forward, I think we will have a better game plan or more of a game plan anyway. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, you would like, obviously, yeah, like Christmas is not a priority, but at the same time, Black Friday at this point, like, let's be honest, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, not about buying presents for the holidays. Like, let's be clear. This is about shopping for yourself and your family. Like, yeah, the number of Black Friday things I buy for myself far outweigh the Christmas shopping I'm doing. So it is like an interesting new way we have to look at the like that Q4 sale stuff. Yeah, no, that's true. Actually, I think on Black Friday, all I did was buy winter gear for my kids. Like, I think yeah. that's what I was doing. Yeah, it's it's very funny now. <laughs> um, okay, you know, we've kind of talked about talked around some of this, but if you were to go back to, you know, let's say 
day one and even even thinking about like putting that press release out before you have the the helmets in hand if you could go back and give yourself some advice the day that you let's say took everything public what advice would you go back and give yourself i feel like i would tell myself that things are never going to be the same but you're going to figure it out like i think that's what i would tell myself and i think i would advise myself to have a little bit more faith in the way I was doing things because you know there was there was there was there were certainly times throughout the year where I mean many years that I've been working on this that I felt like oh my god I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> that's what I felt many times but we figure it out so I think I would tell myself like it's all figure outable and you'll get there and we just take our time and learn as we're going Love it. Love it. Okay. Before I ask where everyone can find, follow you and Bold Helmets, where did the name Bold Helmets come from? Like, how did you come up with that? Okay. This is really interesting. So when we launched our product, we actually launched as Sick Helmets, right? That was the name that we went with our brand name. And then we had some feedback from the community. And, you know, this is one of those areas where it's like, I took feedback from what people were saying and took it in a constructive way and thought, okay, does this make sense to me? How do I feel about this? And you know what I decided? Like, I feel like making a move from that name is a good idea. That's what happened. And so then it was like, okay, so what is the name going to be? This is like a week after we launched. So this was like a high stress time for me. Um, and we had all of our product say, it says it comes at the back. Even our first like batch of product, it all says it, but people know we are making the move. So then it was like, what is the word that we're going to use? What's the name we're going to use? And I kid you not, I was in conversation with a friend a few weeks before that. And I told her she knew that this helmet was coming out. And I said to her, you know, I feel like I need a word for the year. She was working on her word for the year. She knew everything was happening. And she said to me, she's like, I got it. You should go with bold. That'll be your word for 2023. I thought, perfect. I put it out into the universe. And then all this happened. And I said to myself, I've got it. It's bold helmets. And like, I feel like it's so fitting for what we're trying to do. We're creating a bold shape. We're encouraging people to be bold in who they are, but bold in what they want to do. Um, and so it's just, it's worked out really beautifully. Like at the time it felt very stressful, but it's just worked out like very, very beautifully in a way that feels, feels good to me. So that's where it came from. My word of the year. Love it. Love it. Actually, I'm so glad that we're ending on that note because word of the year is like one of my absolute favorite things to do. So I'm so glad we're, (laughs) we're wrapping with that. That's amazing. Okay. Wait, do you have a word for 2024? So I've been thinking about it and it's not, it's not solidified yet, but I do think that it's going to be two words. I think it's going to be breakthrough. I think that is what I'm focusing on for 2024. And to be honest, I've done word of the year for the last two or three years because I don't really do resolutions. And I feel like having the word bold for 2023 has been, it's, it's been so good for me. Like anytime I felt like worried or scared, I've been in all these situations and programs where I don't actually feel that confident because it's new for me. I've gone back to that. Be like, my word, word is bold. We're going to be go bold or go home, right? So that's what I've that's oh. what I focused on. So I think for 2024, we are going to break through. I love it. It's so funny. I was just talking about this on a, a solo episode around goals for 2024 for the show, and I was saying, I actually like I had originally thought that my 2023 word was going to be strong, and then I rejected it because I was like, ah, you know what? Like, it's not really like. I feel like I, I was in this phase of like wanting something like a little softer. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately it just kept popping back and I ended up starting Strong Girl Publishing this year. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So my my initial instinct was correct. It should have been strong. So 2024 is strong. <laughs> <We're> Amazing. Just- <laughs> 
<laughs> it's so funny what those words can do for us. So I love that. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find you and bold helmets and check all of that stuff out. So I am in all the places at as the Tina Singh and then bold helmets is bold helmets. We kept it very simple. You can follow us on all, all the channels. Um, we are mo- myself and bold helmets are most active on Instagram and that's the best place to find us. Perfect. Ah, oh, Tina, thank you so much. It's been so fun getting to chat with you about this. This has me so excited for everything that's coming in 2024. Oh, no, thank you. You've got me excited for 2024 and my word of the year. I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> Love it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Business of Fitness podcast. Hopefully you got a lot from this episode and hopefully it's going to help you with your business in the fitness industry. Make sure you're following along with me over at at Molly J. Herford and at business.of.fitness over on Instagram. Keep up with Feisty over at livefeisty.com for tons of fun stuff. And of course, if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a rating and review. Thanks so much and we'll see you soon.